Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Mountains We Climb. This is a series where we dive into people's journeys of overcoming challenges and adversity in their lives so that we can understand what is really possible and what it really takes. I'm your host, Jordan Kilpatrick-Smith, and in this week's episode, we're going to be exploring Jay Dukeshire's journey of flatlining three times after a motorcycle accident, the near-death out-of-body experiences that followed, and his journey of rebuilding his mind and his body. Among many things, Jay is now part of the Help Heal Humanity team, doing great things to help empower and inspire our vulnerable youth and communities both locally here in Hamilton, in Toronto, and globally. He leads the Food for Humanity chapter to ensure that our local community living in shelters and encampments are fed a warm cooked meal and given various supplies such as boots, coats, pants, sweaters, gloves, tents, and sleeping bags. Uh, incredible man to have on the podcast. Jay, thank you so much for being here with me. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm super excited. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I first heard your story, I was like, I need to talk to this guy. <laughs> so it's, it's remarkable to say the least. Uh, so where does it start? Where do, where do we so, start this? So I'll start this, I, I guess, basically how this, this, this whole Ducati career started. Um, I got a phone call to, to work for Ducati. So I went and I tried it out and um, my first day I did a fantastic job. I built a bunch of bikes. So I landed the job, everything went well. And moving forward, I built a bike for a customer and I was on a road test and we road test every bike that we build to make sure the customer doesn't have a, a troubled bike or whatever it may be. And I was cut off by a car and the person cut me off and the person left. And how I know this is it happened in front of a dealership and they have surveillance cameras that watch all the cars in the lot, I'm not gonna name names, but my crash or accident, sorry, it was caught on tape. So right. it did show that I wasn't riding recklessly, super fast. Uh, literally when the police assessed the scene, they assessed that I was doing 39 kilometers an hour. And when I watched the tape, it took me two and a half years to watch the tape because the first time I cried, like it was unbelievable. Reason being, when you watch YouTube and it's somebody else in a, a snuff film or something, it's not a big deal. But when I'm watching this and I actually realized that it was me, the person yeah. bouncing off the ground, off my face and my feet, I had an extremely difficult time with that. And I watched it with a buddy of mine. It took some time, but I needed closure as, as to what happened. And it was... Again, it was tough. It was very difficult. I'm, I'm just reminiscing and, and I'm going back to that time and I watched the video and it, it's erupting feelings inside me right now. And um, there's just some things that you never forget. And uh, watching the video, it created closure for me and I was able to move forward with recovery and start recovery and move into the different channels through our health organization to get better. Right. So you were, you were test driving this bike that you had built, not yes. really going very fast. Someone cuts you off. And, and then how did the accident happen there? Okay, so in the motorcycle world, I've raced motorcycles my whole life, okay. all over the world. So when you ride a motorcycle, there's, there's uh, something that happens, it's called high side. And when you high side a motorcycle, the back tire starts to slide back and forth, side to side, side to side. But because the back tire being rubber, the tire eventually stops sliding from side to side because it's on pavement. And what happens is, is the bike sits upright and the bike uh, pitches you off the front of the bike or catapults you like a slingshot over the handlebars because because of the force, the G-force of the bike standing straight up, it throws you off the front of the bike. Straight so, up as in on the front wheel? Yep, right, right over the handlebars, right over the handlebars, right. Uh, onto the ground. And the problem you high side 
is you always have to keep in the back of your mind, one, you're trying not to die. And two, the motorcycle is right behind you. So yeah. if you stop abruptly, the motorcycle is going to nail you. It's going to hit you. And what happened with me is I high-sided and looking at the video, it was roughly 90 to 100 feet. I was bouncing and sliding off my face and my feet, doing, doing a, a cartwheel, so to speak, down the road. And the motorcycle is right behind me. And I hit the curb with my right shoulder. And this is what caused the brain injury. But as I hit the curb, my head slammed off the ground and it broke everything on the right upper side of my body. And as I hit the curb, somebody was watching over me because the bike missed me by an inch. It hit the curb right beside me, an inch away from me. Wow. And when I hit the curb, I catapulted up and I missed a telephone post again by about two inches. <laughs> so I got extremely lucky. And this is what happened. And um, I had my first outer body experience at that particular time. I was standing, this is gonna sound very strange, but this is, this is the honest to God truth. Um, I stood up uh, beside the bike and I'm standing at the bike, looking down. I see the bike and myself on the ground. And I see all my colleagues from work running over to the scene. There's people driving cars that were stopping, doors are opening up, people are running up to me. And then I don't remember nothing after that. Uh, sorry, I do actually. Uh, the next thing that happened to me is so my aunt Viv, my aunt Viv was my garden angel through this. Absolutely. And what caught me off guard is my aunt Viv passed three years before my accident from cancer. So not good, but uh, one of my favorite people in the whole world. And as I'm being put into the stretcher, I'm completely tied down because I was bleeding out my nose and my mouth, but worst of all, I was bleeding out my ears. So that means right. my brain is leaking inside or bleeding inside my head. So they had me taped down. I couldn't move like this. And they put me in the back of the ambulance. And the first thing I could smell was, was my Aunt Viv's perfume. And I went, oh boy, this, this is not good. And when I looked over to my, to my left, she, she was on my left, I remember, uh, I, I moved my head just a touch. And she uh, repeated this so many times, but she, her hair was always done perfectly. Her makeup was done perfectly. She always had her perfume on. She was dressed to the nines every time. She had her favorite clothes on. And I looked over and, and she looks at me. She goes, it's okay, hon. She goes, everything's gonna be okay. She goes, you and I are gonna hang out for a little while. And I went, okay. And it was like the weight of the world. It was like euphoria, it was lifted off my shoulders. And I felt at peace and extremely calm. It, it, it's extremely difficult to explain. That's the best way I can explain it. And being in the back of the ambulance with my Aunt Viv, from that point on, um, it's almost as real as you and I talking now. We hung out for two weeks. And one of the best visions that I remember was my aunt and I sitting on a dock looking in the water and remember seeing our reflections in the water. And from that point on, um, I had been in the hospital probably for, for about two and a half months, the general hospital. And I had my last outer body experience at the hospital. And it, it, we, we hear this all the time. We, we see videos, we read about this and we hear other people going through these these traumatic experiences. And for myself, um, I was floating above my bed in, in the hospital and I'm looking down at my bed and I'm lying on the bed and everything, I have wires hooked up to me. I have tubes hooked up to me. I have all the, the equipment from the hospital to help me survive hooked up to me. I'm looking down at myself and my mom and my dad were at the head of the bed. And man, they, 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 they were a mess. They were a mess, right? And um, what happened next how I describe it 
is it was like a, a hallway in an apartment building because I'm walking and you know how you can kind of hear your footsteps down the hallway. Yep. And I'm looking down this long, black, dark hallway. And I, I remember it was really cold and I saw a light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm walking aimlessly in this black space towards the light. It, the, this is the best way I can describe it, how I remember it. And I'm walking towards the light. And my Aunt Viv comes again and she grabs my, my right arm. And, and imagine that because the right side of my upper body was the worst pain of all. And she grabs my right arm. She goes, no, honey. She goes, you're going the wrong way. And I turn around. And that's when I first woke up in my room in, in, in the general hospital. And I was somewhat coherent. My brain was was very traumatized at that point, but that was my first time ever waking up and, and just kind of going, okay, what happened? And I remember my mother walked into the room at that particular point, go figure. And and my mom, man, my mom was a mess. She had a tough go with this. And um, I look at my mom and I said to my mom, I said, typical guy, I said, how's my bike? Because <laughs> she told me the first thing I like. I said, oh my gosh, how's my bike? Is it smashed up? Is it still rideable? And there's no hunch because you, you had an accident at work. I went, oh, okay. So it was the caddy. And then this is when recovery started to move forward. And, and uh, that's when that's when the work started. Yeah. That's when the work started. Yes. Okay. So the out-of-body experience is something I, I think most people never experience in their lives, right? So I, I'm really, really curious about this. Um so, you know, the, you, you get sent over the handlebars on this bike, you're, you're just flying down the road, you hit the curb, and in your first of the out-of-body out of experiences, were there a lot of emotions during this, or was it just kind of like a calm observation of the scene, or what was, what was that like? It, it was a calm observation of the scene, believe it or not. Uh, most would, would be traumatized because it's a very traumatic situation experience. And I was calm. I, 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 maybe I shouldn't have been calm, but I was calm. And I mean, I, I, was, I was overwhelmed by the amount of people that were running up to myself and the bike lying on the ground. And, right. and, and I, I mean, I was grateful because people were trying to help me, right? And, and again, I was just, I'm watching, I, I'm, it's real as you and I talking now, I'm standing there beside the bike and myself lying on the ground. And I'm watching all these people and they're just hysterical, all these people. And I'm the only person who's calm and I was the person in the accident, right? Yeah, so, yeah I, was, I was pretty good as, as far as moods go. Right. And did it still feel like you? Like, like, because you could see your body, right? Mm -hmm. So was that like a thought? Like, hey, I'm looking at myself there or, um, yeah, well, like. So at first, uh, it wasn't me. I was trying. I couldn't comprehend what was going on. Right. I was like, how can I say? Um, I was like, I was I was pulled out of my body. Obviously, that's never happened to me before. Yeah. And, and I, I was pulled out and then put beside me, another me on the ground. And 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 at first I was I was really overwhelmed. I was really nervous. I didn't understand what was going on. Clearly, this has never happened to me before. And and then I just felt just this, this, this calm come over top of me. I, I, I don't know why. And I'm just standing around. I'm looking around. Everybody rushing up to the scene, and I, I was, yeah, I was calm. I guess maybe I should have been more hysterical, possibly, but I was good. Yeah, and so one of the the reasons I ask is I've heard this about near death experiences where it's an incredibly calm experience for people. It really is. It really right. is. And again, I mean, 
So that two and a half weeks when I was in, in a coma. So uh, I'll go back to the hospital. How mm-hmm. it started, um, I left that part of this is kind of kind of, kind of a, a, a not a funny part, but a funny part if you know my father. So my dad gets a call at work and they said, okay, your son Jay's been in a motorcycle accident. And so then my dad then calls my sister, then my sister then calls my mom. My sister lives in Alliston, uh, an hour and a half away from Hamilton. She drove down every single day with her kids, her three kids, newborns, and her husband to be with me every single day. Wow. So when everybody was on the horn and everyone knew what was going on, dad's driving down to the hospital, worse in Cambridge. And he's thinking that I, I, I fell off the bike and I broke my ankle or something. He's going, Jay, man, I, I told this guy to slow down. And finally, kind of, kind of cut up to him and, and he fell down, so to speak. And as they say in a motorcycle, it's not if you fall down, it's when you fall down, right? Right. And my dad gets to the hospital. Uh, my mom was there already. And my parents are walking down the hallway. And as they're walking down the hallway towards the reception desk, um, a, a doctor walked up to my parents and said, are you Mr. and Mr. Duksha? And they said, yes, we are. Uh, Jay's mother and father. Yes, we are. Okay, could you just come and step into this room with me? And right then and there, this is uh, what my father told me. He goes, Jake, he goes, right then and there, he goes, I knew you were in trouble. And, and what they told my parents in the hospital, they said, Jay is critical. He's not doing well right now. If Jay makes it through tonight, we'll deal with Jay tomorrow. If Jay makes it through tomorrow, we'll deal with the next day and so on and so on. And I made it. I got through the, ugh, again, I can't remember nothing, but I made it through the first night and my family had this eight by eight little room in, in ICU in the general hospital with no windows. It was like this little jail cell. My sister was explaining to me. So they had my parents in there and, 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 and my sister and her husband and three kids. And my niece was nine months old, just to give you an idea, right? Right. So they're all sitting in this room and, and um, a code blues called. And my mom went, she went sideways and the code blue was on me. So in the hospital, I had flatlined three times. And sorry, I flatlined once in the ambulance. I flatlined twice in the hospital. Right. And they called code blue. And if anyone's ever seen a code blue in a hospital, all staff on deck start running towards the room wherever the code blue is. I volunteered in hospitals and did placements in hospitals my whole life. So I understand this. And my mom said, she goes, Jay, she goes, the swarm of people just started running down the hallway towards your room. And, and I started to panic. She goes, because you're my son and I love you. And she goes, your dad and your sister started to really panic. And everybody's going on. But the hospital's like, no, you can't come here. You stay there. We got to go take care of him. And I don't know if that was the second or the first time I flatlined at the hospital, but it was one of the two. Anyway, mm-hmm. it was one of the two. And it was, it, I was really critical. I wasn't supposed to make it that night, to be honest with you. I wasn't supposed to live. Um, on a brain injury, traumatic brain injury, on a scale of one to 10, my brain injury was uh, nine, nine and a half or, or 9.9. My brain was never supposed to work right again. Then right. after I was assessed, they told my parents, um, he'd broken uh, four vertebrae, four vertebrae in his lower back, three in his neck. Uh, he may never walk again. And I broke all the ribs on the right side of my body and I put two of them through my lung. They said he may never, never breathe properly again. So that was the diagnosis. And then we jump into the hospital and then the process starts. Right. Okay. So you, you got a little banged up. <laughs> I, I got banged up. So totally. Um, 
What happened? I, I broke 17 bones from head to toe. My left leg is titanium from the knee down. Um, I have a titanium rod for tibia and tibia, and I have a plate and screws for an ankle. And yes, I got banged up really, really bad. Yeah. Um, really bad. And so in the ambulance, they said they strapped you down, right? Yes. So you couldn't move around. So you were like semi-conscious at this point in the, in the ambulance? Uh, I was out, out cold. Uh, and the outer body experience at the accident scene, Yeah, uh, I was out cold. I, my eyes were closed. I wasn't moving. Nothing was happening. And so, the same thing. Right. So when you say you like kind of looked over and saw your aunt Bib there, you you weren't conscious for that? That was like an imagined experience? Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, okay. I, I, was, I, I was knocked out, I guess, unconscious. And yeah. the first thing was is, is I could smell my aunt's cologne. Right. And that's why I kind of went, oh, this is not good. And this is, the, this is when the process started. The process just explained a little earlier. Yeah. And going into the ambulance, yes, I, I was unconscious. Yeah. And you mentioned there was like a two and a half week period where you, that you spent with your aunt, right? Yes. Can you tell me about that? Okay. So there's some really, really neat stories from the hospital. And I remember my mom telling me because uh, we'll get into to the memory part in, in, in a second. Mm-hmm. But I had no short-term memory whatsoever. I had no memory period because of my right. injury. And my Aunt Viv was on my shoulder, my guardian angel on my right shoulder, or left shoulder, sorry. And I had to go for an x-rays and, and the doctors came in or the nurses come in to, to wheel me out of the room and okay, Mr. Or Mr. Dukesh, are you ready to go? I said, yeah, no problem. Just, just give me a second. I have to get this angel off my shoulder. And my Aunt Viv hung out with me every day for for two and a half weeks it was just amazing just just amazing sorry i'm not sure i followed that i thought you were out for like two months in a in a coma oh no two weeks two weeks two weeks okay in the hospital for two and a half months gotcha okay so once you became conscious then like you spent your aunt was on your shoulder and hanging out with you for those after that yes 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 okay so yep so aunt and i hung out for, for two weeks when i was in a coma um, she kept me company and that's when the outer body experience happened in the hospital and everything else. And, um, I was, I was awake in the hospital. Or I was conscious in the hospital. I did not know what was going on because my brain did work. I was still alive. Uh, the physiology was still working and ticking and everything was looking fine, but I have no memory. Even to this day, I have no recollection of what happened. Right. And when they took me out, what I'm telling you now are all things that my family has told me. And my sister also wrote a journal and the journal helped her basically cope and deal with what was going on. And it was to give me a memory of a time that I couldn't remember. Wow. And it's again that I got that journal on the first, on my first birthday after I got to the hospital. And it, again, like the video, it took me two years to read that book. Mm-hmm. It, oh man, it was tough. It was tough. Very tough. Yeah. So what was it like? I mean, so you, you were in the hospital two and a half months, your, your brain was basically from as far non-functioning as we can realistically recover from. What was that recovery process like for you? Wow. So the part that I don't remember, um, the nurses would come in every morning and they had a cardboard clock and they would practice with me every morning. Okay, Jay, what's the time? And they'd move the hands on the clock and ask me what time it was. Then they would ask me the date and they would ask me what I had for breakfast. And for the first month, I couldn't remember. 
So picture this, you have breakfast at nine o'clock. They come in and ask you this question at nine oh eight, and you can't remember what happened. I had no short-term memory whatsoever. Right. And these people work with me and work with me and work with me. These are the team in the hospital. Then I was set up a different team once I was uh, released from the hospital. Right. And uh, I, I want to ask you about what it was like, but I imagine you don't remember what it, what it was like. Well, I got a pretty good idea. Just I've talked with so many people now, right? Okay. Was it, what was it like to not be able to remember anything? <sighs> Scary. I mean, a compromised brain. I've said this to many of my friends. I would break every single bone in my body not to have a compromised brain. So um, I, I have a traumatic brain injury right now as we talk. And if I hadn't told you, you'd never know. Right. In, in early recovery, it was quite evident that something was wrong with me. <laughs> it was just, uh, with a compromised brain. Again, you have no filter, like no filter. And your executive functioning skills are messed right up. Executive functioning skills are controlled by the prefrontal cortex or the front part of your brain, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And they control uh, planning, focus, attention, um, uh, multitasking skills, things like this. And I could do none of them, like none of them. And to give you an idea, you wake up in the morning, you use the washroom and you shower and you do your breakfast and you plan your day, get ready to go to work. I had to learn how to do all that again. I forgot how to do everything. I did not have to do everything. So that's what I mean. I'd rather not have a compromised brain and break every bone in my body, seriously. Yeah. And did, in that time, did you know that you had forgotten everything? Like, was it a frustration for you? Be like, I, I used to do all of this and now I, I can't? Or was that like not even in the picture? Not even the picture. Not, not even in the picture at that point. Um, when I got home, I, when I got home, I was in bed probably for about six and a half, seven months. Because And I... I lied on my back and, and, and I counted the, the paint divots in the ceiling <laughs> and, and, and I had my window open. I could hear everybody outside and I wanted to go outside so bad, but I was broken from head to toe. I couldn't move. And yeah, I remember it just being a difficult time and, and wanting to leave and getting really frustrated. And it was at that point. So with Ducati, I was recognized as, as one of the better techs around. I was really good at my job. I loved what I did. Therefore, it made my job easy. And I got to travel the world. It was it was like the dream job type thing. And I guess the point that I'm making is, is you had to have a lot of knowledge, a lot of memory, because there's a lot of information to, to remember when you're building a bike or you're tuning, you're setting up a bike, whatever it may be. And I would be in my room and I would be thinking things like, let's say, adding one plus one together. I couldn't do that. Right. And I couldn't remember um, I couldn't tell who, who was coming into the house. I couldn't remember one thing after another. I forgot everything. I didn't know what was going on. And at that particular point, it became very evident that that something up here wasn't working properly. Yes, all the broken modes and everything else, I was fully aware of that because I was in so much pain and I couldn't move. And I had a cast on my leg and I was all bandies up and stuff. But again, that didn't matter to me. What mattered to me and what concerned me was this because it was a lot of time, a lot of years to gain the knowledge and experience to be as, as good as I was. I put, in, I put in everything to be as good as I was. And I hit my head and everything was just taken away from me. Like, I mean, you work so hard to, to, to build a life, to build a career. And then uh, a simple bump on the head and your memory's completely wiped. And 37 years of knowledge is gone. It's gone. And you have to 
rebuild your brain and you have to start working at that again, remembering things. And there's a term called neuroplasticity. And what neuroplasticity means, picture the brain as being malleable or being rubber and it can repair itself. And how it repairs itself, it's done through neuroplasticity or neurogenesis. And what the brain does is it builds new neural pathways within the brain, different parts of the brain. And like a construction company, the brain will keep building these new highways until it finds the fastest and most efficient highway. And now that becomes the permanent highway that the brain will use. And the brain will borrow other cells from good parts of the brain to repair the damaged part of the brain. And this is the process known as neurogenesis and it happens over time. And some people, I have to say this, I'm, I'm really lucky. I shouldn't have bounced back the way I did. Um, 2018, I advocated for uh, uh, Hamilton Health Sciences. I spoke at the ABI conference at Hamilton Place. My, my 2018 was great. I had, uh, I did magazine articles and shoots. I, I did podcasts, everything. And it was a way to express myself of what's going on. And then my plan was to go back to school so that I can give back to the people with a brain injury. And if I could make their recovery, their journey, ah, just a little bit easier, then I've did my job, then I can help them. And that, that's what kind of got me onto the road that I'm on now. Right. So in, in that time where, so, you know, you've come out of the coma, you are, you're at home at this point, you're starting to, like your brain's starting to, to repair itself. And you, you just can't remember things like the executive functioning just, just is not working. And you're there, you said six or seven months, right? Yes. That's a long time to just lay in bed. Um, yeah, it's the, the occupational therapists that they had ramps to my doorways, they put double railings in my staircases because uh, my left leg didn't work and all the broken vertebrae in the back of my neck, I wasn't doing well. So they put a wheelchair, crutches, and a commode on every floor of my house to try to make my, my life a little bit easier, you know? And, and I remember they put hand railings on my bed so that I wouldn't fall out of my bed because the experiences that I had at the hospital. <laughs> and um, the, the occupational therapist was fantastic. They set up my home perfectly. And when I come home, it was, it was a little unnerving because there, there was a line of people there to see me i mean they're my friends and my family amazing people but with a brain injury you don't comprehend it you, you don't think this way and i became very paranoid because i didn't recognize my surroundings i didn't recognize the house i didn't recognize my car in the driveway i didn't recognize the park across the street i'm thinking where am i and i've lived there for like 15 years and i couldn't remember nothing and again being in bed and the window open i have all these things going on inside my head but I can't understand why this is happening. I can't understand why this thought is happening or what does this thought mean? And right. it was like complete chaos or, or discombobulation in my head. It was, it was tough, very tough. Yeah. When did that start to shift for you? Oh boy. Okay. So how this happened, there was a bit of a process. So I worked with a neuropsychologist for five years and uh, I worked with, oh boy, advanced rehabilitation therapist for 10 years. And I did three and a half years in physiotherapy to put my body back together. So how the process worked is once I got home, we started working on some, some physio first so that I could be functioning, I could move. And then I got a call from General Hospital and I was set up with an occupational therapist who in turn set me up with a neuropsychologist. And 
I, I won't use names, but this gentleman, he's, he's an amazing person. And working with this person, I would see him three times a week. And the idea is to see him less and less every time, obviously. And when I worked with this person, he would teach me coping mechanisms and skills and, and give me tools on how to function or, or cope out in the world or past the front door, so to speak. And the RT, the rehabilitation therapist, what her job was is she took me from John's office and what I learned in John, John's office and helped me apply it out in the real world and reintegrate me back in society. And that, that took a long, long, long time. And yeah. we did various tests and various, various procedures testing to get my brain to work. For instance, um, we sat down a, a Kohl's bookstore and I'd have a book and, and she would read the chapter first and then she'd say to me, she goes, okay, now you read the chapter. So picture this, this place is very busy and my processing speed is extremely slow. I get agitated and overwhelmed very easily. So even somebody without a brain injury, you're trying to read, try trying reading in, in, a, in a football stadium with a thousand people. Yeah. That's how it was like in my brain, right? So I'd read the book and what the RT did is she would quiz me on, 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 on the, the chapter that I just read, because she read it obviously first. And she would make little questions just to see if I caught on. And we practiced and practiced and practiced this every time. And another test we did too is we used to go to the C-Wing, the Mohawk College. That is a very, very busy part of the school come common hour, right? Yeah. And there was people everywhere, everywhere. And what we would do is we'd make a plan. She would never, ever, ever set me up for failure. We'd always talk, devise a plan first so I was prepared before I jumped into anything. And one tool that worked for me, I'm a guitar player, I've, I've played my whole life. Um, Eddie Van Halen being, being my favorite guitar player, it, it's horrible that he's passed recently, but anyway, um, what I would do is when I got to that point, when I felt overwhelmed, my, my, my triggers, my tip off would be as I grit my teeth and my face would go red and my body temperature would increase like crazy. That's right. when I knew, okay, I had to make a move, man, because I'm gonna derail type thing, right? And what I did is, is how do I say, I just went inside my head and I would think of uh, um, solos or guitarists or tunes. And I just start thinking music and, 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 and I would think of the theory of the music and, and how it would be scored. And that would take my brain away from the present moment, help me calm down. Then I could come back into the present moment, like, okay, I got this. And we had these types of resets all the time, all the time. I had to use them every time. Yeah. Was this process of rebuilding like do you think that this is akin to growing up in any way like kind of how a child has to like learn how to do everything like absolutely uh, so, so we have the adolescent phase of growing up and this is sort of the the, uh, the front of the brain I'm not going to say prefrontal cortex the front of the brain is developing and we're developing skills on how to cope with life as we grow up so for me yes it was kind of like learning all over again all yeah. over again and when I talked to family and friends, uh, my best friend actually said, he goes, so my nickname is Duke. Everybody calls me Duke. He goes, Duke. He goes, it was odd because you could almost see inside your brain because you had no filter. So it was whatever uh, a movie was playing inside your brain or whatever you were thinking would immediately come out and you would act out on it. And he goes, when you were in the hospital, he goes, you're looking at all, all the machines and, and you're trying to diagnose all the machines in the hospital. And this is, this is what I did. My job is to 
look at the problem, devise a plan to fix the problem so it never comes back again. This, this is a tech, right? right? And despite the brain injury, I was still a tech in the hospital, not knowing what I was doing, but I was trying to repair the hospital machines type thing, right? And, yeah. and it was just, uh, it's part of who I am. And he did say, it was, it was, it was odd. He goes, it was almost like you could see inside your brain the way you're acting. He goes, you had no filters whatsoever. He goes, your sentences were all over the place, uh, very discombobulated. He goes, your thought process was up and down. And he goes, you'd go from one extreme to the other. And with the, the frontal lobe or the front of the brain, uh, the biggest thing is emotion control. That was my biggest challenge above all. Mm -hmm. um, what this means is I would go from full-blown rage to laughing to crying all within five minutes. My mind, my brain would shift through emotions like a Rolodex and I had right. no control and I did not know when it was coming. Long story short, for my caregivers, they had a difficult time for me. And there's a term that was called caregiver burden. I, I actually facilitated one of these groups when I was at the hospital uh, working with some people. And um, I had a tough go, but you know, I don't remember nothing. So it was kind of easy for me, you know? Yeah. But the people that cared for me, man, I, I gave them a really hard time. I did. Yeah. My, yeah. Um, the, the emotion irregulation like going all over the place did that start to go away well i okay so did it go away because the brain was healing or because you learned how to cope with emotions again or or both the brain the brain was healing um but but again learning coping mechanism coping strategies to this day i still have a traumatic brain injury and i still have days that are tougher than others and still my brain will catch me off guard or, or, or it'll throw me a curveball out of nowhere. But now I have this massive toolbox of tools, meaning coping mechanisms and strategies that I can jump into the toolbox. I can grab a tool and I can deal with it before it comes out of here. Yeah. I hear it come in here. Okay. That's, that's not good. We've got to straighten this out, man, before it comes out here type thing. Yeah. And no filter with brain injury is a big, big issue. I had, well, I got into a lot of trouble actually. <laughs> yeah. It's not good. But, right. but I had to be taught how to do that again, right? Yeah. Do you feel that it would be beneficial for us as a society to teach these coping mechanisms that we teach for brain injury patients to people in general? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you don't need a brain injury to go sideways, so to speak, right? Yeah. It, um, again, they call an ABI or a TBI, ABI, acquired brain injury, TBI, traumatic brain injury. They call it the hidden injury because you can't see, you can't see. I don't have no scars or, or, or uh, arms growing up the back of my head or something. It's in here and you can't tell. And again, in the beginning, when, when, when I spoke, it wasn't good. Now it's a lot different because of years of practice and working with a fantastic team at the hospital who could teach me and educate me. And now what I've done is just put me in this direction, this path now where I've taken these skills and then I work with people like myself to try to help them make things better for them. Nice. And tools for them. Yeah. Can you share any of uh, any tools that you think were the most beneficial for you? Okay. So what I did is, uh, again, the music in my head was fantastic. That was a very dear thing to me. Um, my niece, you know, Brooke, well, love her. So I had a picture of her on my phone. And when I was, when I became agitated or, or things were starting to shift on me, I'd open my phone and I'd look at Jenna Brooke and for whatever reason it may be, it would calm me down. Now, let me explain a little bit about Jenna Brooke. 
Now, as far as the hospital goes, all my family's at the hospital and I cannot remember nothing. I don't remember. I didn't remember my mom's name. I didn't recognize my father, my sister, nobody. But Jenna Brooke, my sister, Jen, was carrying Jenna Brooke in the hallway. And I heard Jenna Brooke, she started laughing in the hallway. And I started crying out of nowhere. And I was yelling Jenna Brooke's name at the top of my lungs. And my family was so happy because I remembered somebody. With Jenna Brooke, I just, I just have this special connection with her. I don't know what it is. And what the hospital did is, is they'd sit Jenna Brooke down on my hospital bed and I'd have a conversation with this nine month year old person, right? And, but this person calmed me down and I was just like, ah, and, and, and I would just chat with her. Like I'm having a conversation with you. I'm a 37 year old man talking to a, non, a nine month old child, but I don't know the difference. So I'm just chatting it up. But what it did is it calmed me down and I didn't go sideways in the hospital. I had a couple of instances in the hospital. I didn't do so well. And uh, again, when I was trying to get out of bed and I kept ripping all the tubes and stuff out of my body. And with my left leg being broken, I get out of bed and I completely fall down flat in my face because my left leg wasn't working. Yeah. And they eventually strapped me to the bed type thing. So what they did is they didn't use, it's a better word. Um, they used Jenna Brooke to sit beside me in bed and, 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 and I would just talk and it would calm me down and allow all the doctors and, and, and everybody else in the room to get their stuff together for the next plan, so to speak. Yeah. Um, at what point did you gain your memory back? That, or start to gain it back? Yeah, that, that came in time. How that started to happen was when I started working with uh, the neuropsychologist. And again, he showed me ways to help memory, he showed me ways to what we call personalized information. So, so I can remember. So biggest thing, I just couldn't remember names. As foolish as this may sound, um, I like rice cakes, uh, caramel rice cakes. So caramel rice cakes for me, uh, I'm one of these people, an exercise person and caramel rice cakes, it's a blast of carbohydrates after you exercise type thing. You have to have it, whatever. Um, these caramel rice cakes, I remembered when I went to my placement, sorry, I was volunteering at St. Joe's, the Staywall program. And uh, um, my, uh, my neuropsych and RT had set this up for me. And it was my first time being reintegrated back into the world with, with this, this discombobulated brain, so to speak. And I remember walking into the, to, to the hospital and just being like really, really nervous. It took me probably two hours. I walked around the parking lot before I could walk to the front door because I was so nervous, so, so nervous. And he's just, you conquer step at a time, baby steps, right? Baby steps are everything. I mean, it takes so long. And that point on, I've been working with John probably for about, about a year. And my memory was starting to work well because he was showing me tricks. Again, personalized information. So where I was going with the, the caramel rice cakes, there was a client I worked with in a hospital. His name was Carm. Well, the rice cakes I used to eat were caramel. So I remember caramel rice cakes and I would associate caramel with Carm. And that's how I remembered his name. Right. And this is known as personalizing information. It helps with people with memory problems. Yeah, that's okay. That, that's interesting. When I'm trying to remember names, I'll often associate like J with all of the J's that I know. And then it's like in, in the J bank. Okay. Um, so yeah, you know, something, something similar to that, right? We're, we're memory, we're remembering through association. For sure. And when right? I studied uh, going back to school, um, all the blue ink on a page, completely just it frazzled me i couldn't do it my brain 
I couldn't decipher the information. I couldn't process all the information because there was a bunch of this blue ink on a, on a white page. So what I learned to do is I would break the, the page down into sections of different color. And my brain was able to understand and absorb the information on the page much better. If I just looked at a white page with a bunch of ink on it, well, not so, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't decipher what the page was saying. And writing papers was a challenge because myself, I'm stubborn, I'm very persistent, and I'm very driven. And I would work on these papers <clears throat> and the brain injury, the brain will give you signs when it's time to like, okay, we're done now, it's just go home, go to bed, relax, we're finished. I would keep pushing because that's just the kind of guy I am. And, and right. with that said, it's gotten me today to, to where I am because, because of the hard work. But in writing a paper, I would be writing and writing and writing and I'm trying to fight what's going on. So I'm going to get through this. I'm just going to keep researching. I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to, going to keep putting all the information and make sure my plagiarizing is, is, is not happening and everything is happening or the EPA formatting is fantastic. And I'd keep pushing. And then that was the first, the first chance my brain said, okay, you're done. Then the second time around, the best way I could describe it, um, you know, like, like, like the master switch on, on, on your fuse panel or mm -hmm. shut the whole house down. That's what, that's what my brain did. And brain goes, okay, we warned you once. You're not listening. We're not doing well right now. We're, we're extremely tired, like extremely tired. You're not paying attention. We're just going to shut you off. It literally shuts my body off. Like it just, I just, I crashed the weirdest thing. It, it's, right. it's unbelievable how it works. Right. And I was warned about it from uh, the neuropsych. Um, but I thought I'd try it anyway. And I remember writing papers like two, three in the morning with big papers for the brain disorders management program. And what I did learn when I did push and I tried to push through this being stubborn, when I read the content the next day, it was horrible. I kind of go, <laughs> why did I do that? I should have just stopped when I stopped. Right. And anybody who writes uh, substantial papers knows this. When you're really, really tired and you keep pushing, you might as well just stop because the content's going to be horrible. It's, it's going to be very horrible, right? Right. And when I read the paper the next day, it was horrible. But yeah. this is what I mean with the brain. It gives, it gives you signs and it shuts you down. Yeah. And so you didn't just, you know, have a, a traumatic, like, you know, dying experience coming back from that, both mentally and physically. But you also went on to then get more schooling, right? I did. So um, I had to reinvent myself. And that was difficult. I put a lot of time in, into Ducati and, and bikes, and that was my true love. And it was it was it was a a movie star career. It was amazing. Um, but working with the neuropsych, I just about said his name. Working with the neuropsychologist and 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 the RT, my brain was up and going. Everything was working well. And from the Staywell program, uh, the first program I took was, was a recreation therapist program at Mohawk College. And it was the boss or the manager of the stable program at the at the St. Joe's that actually said, Jay, she was like, why don't you try this? She was like, you're natural at this kind of stuff. And that was my first attempt going back to school. And I was really, really scared, but it was great because Mohawk College has accommodations for people that have disabilities. And um, I would have a note taker that wrote notes down for me in the class because I couldn't watch PowerPoint and listen to the prof at the same time. I couldn't multitask that that's a big issue with some of the frontal issues. And this person would take the notes down for me so that I could, I could just pay attention to the teacher and listen to what the teacher was saying. And then um, I could get extra time to write exams and they would put me in a room that was, how do I say, ex 
dead quiet, so to speak. Well, that's a bad choice of words. Extremely quiet. And um, he, he had an extension on time, seven hours to write your exam. They'd give you three hours to write the exam. And because of the accommodations at the school and learning how to use the accommodations at the school, uh, I was able to be successful with the first program I took. Nice. And what did you take after that? So um, the program I took out was called the Brain Disorders, Brain Disorders Management Program. And the whole idea of that program was I want to learn more about me because I didn't understand me. And I want to dive into more theory and understand uh, the mechanics of the brain and the neural networks of the brain and, and why things happen the way they did. And uh, specifically with the frontal lobe damage, I want to understand why this happened and, and why I'm acting this way. So as it turns out, uh, CBC had did an article on me and Hampton Health Sciences also wrote an article on me as well. And, and my teacher, Henri DePape, it's okay, it should be, so I should say Dr. Henri DePape, she has a PhD. And um, we had an open house before the program and I walked into the classroom and she goes, hey Jay, she was nice to meet you. And I went, nice to meet you, like, who are you? And she goes, she goes, I know all about you. I went, okay. She was, she was, I, I read your article from Hampton Health Sciences Journals. And I went, oh, she was, and I read the CBC article too. She goes, I'm so ecstatic to work with you. This is what she does. This is what she teaches. She has a person in her class with a traumatic brain injury. So we can work together. And right. I got to learn from the students in the class. And then I got to build this, this rapport and, and build even more tools. And I realized that when, okay, I can write a paper. So when, for the longest time, I thought that, that I wasn't too smart because, because of what was going on. And that weighed on me a lot. And when I get into school, it showed me that, that I could do, I could do things. I mean, we, I wrote papers, I wrote papers that were like a 30-page a, a paper, and I usually I had to use 50 different references. They were very substantial papers. But like, uh, describe the anatomy of the human brain. You can't write that in one page. Yeah. You can't do that, right? But within doing all this, I was able to learn about myself. I was able to learn what part of the brain controlled what and why. And the part of the brain that I damaged, why these other things happened to me and how I could repair them. And this is how I started to learn. And my whole idea was to take the information from the neuropsych, my RT, now take the information from Anne-Marie and the Brain Disorders Management Program, put it all together and then start working with people. And that's, this is the journey that I'm on now, along with HHH, the charity as well. Right. That is, it's just so in, incredible. And not like, okay, so, you know, you, you came back from the edge, about as close to the edges as one can get, both in body and in mind. Yes. And then you went on to say, you know what? Yes. I, so I have all these barriers here. I have to relearn how to do basically everything. Yep. I'm going to go back to school now. And even though I don't believe that I'm smart enough to do this, even though I, I'm not entirely sure that I, I can do this, I'm still going to go for it. Mm. You then went on to become a, a recreational therapist and you went and did um, this program in, in brain yeah. injury. Yeah. And you went and rebuilt your body and, and you do physique, right? I do. So I compete in a class called physique class. Um, the first show I did, uh, exercise is, is a way of life for me. Right. <clears throat> and um, having this physique, I have a muscular physique and the, oh boy, boy, boy. I'm thinking, thinking, uh, the surgeon that put me back together, I can't think of his name right now, orthopedic surgeon. I can't use his name, so I won't do that. 
But um, the person that put me back together, when I was going back to my checkups, when, when I was doing okay with my brain, he goes, you know, he goes, he goes, the muscles of your body, he goes, they acted like armor. I went, okay, because who exercises thinking they're going to build this physique to act as armor? Right. You know what I mean? And he goes, because you had a strong core, he goes, that kept you from breaking your back. He goes, you should be in a wheelchair, Jay. He goes, the way you hit the curb, he goes, it's not good. And I said, okay. And he goes, the muscles around you and the muscles around your neck and your lower back, he goes, that's what saved you. And I went, okay. So it was a whole different meaning to exercising. And then when I went back to the gym, uh, I went with the RT. And because of my brain being so discombobulated and the chaos going on inside my head, all the noises in the gym completely overwhelmed me. I could not stay in the gym for longer than four to five minutes at a time. Right. It, it was so it was a process, step by step process process that the RT and I worked on, where I could stay in the gym for a little bit longer, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes. I know it sounds like really, really small intervals, but when you're in my shoes, one minute is like two weeks. Like it's it's unbelievable, right? And we'd work together and we devised a plan. And, and the first thing I had to do was learn how to exercise again, because this is, wasn't working as, as far as it was before. And I have, I had to learn all range of motion. I had scar tissue and broken stuff everywhere and my body didn't work. So I started and, and I, I went super slow, really focused on form, used super lightweight, made sure I had the form perfect. And then as I increased the weight, then the weight would actually work for me because my line was bang on, my form was good. Right. And with that said, uh, to question about your shows, um, I, I was challenged. I, I, was, I was dared to do a show. And right. I, was, I was really nervous, really nervous. And again, this is all part of the brain injury. Uh, you, you, you're kind of like this around people, right? And for anyone listening, you're, you're kind of hiding around. Yes, yes. Sorry, sorry. Yes, you're kind of hiding. You're looking around and, and you're basically terrified of your surroundings. It's right. crazy. And I got dared to do this show. And at, at that point, I'd been exercising probably for about nine months. And, and I thought, okay, let's do this because I was actually gonna do a bodybuilding show before my accident. So thank goodness it was the, the muscles, the armor that saved me. Now, because of my leg, uh, the left leg being titanium from the knee down, I, could, I couldn't train with the weight on my legs no more. Right. So um, the organization uh, it was called opa the change ontario physique association it's called oh canadian physique association cpa now they came up with a class called men's physique <laughs> so men's physique is basically the pretty boy in board shorts with muscles on the beach to be totally honest with you <laughs> right and i'm gonna get in a lot of trouble for saying that but <laughs> um that's pretty much what it is you're basically a fashion model type thing right and meaning Legs aren't important. When you're in bodybuilding, it's about your wheels. Sorry, your legs. It's always about your legs. It, you have to have the full package. You have to have proportion. You have to have symmetry. Uh, your bicep, they have to match the size of your calf. Your, 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 your shoulders have to be wider than your waist. Your V-taper's got to start and come right down to the bottom. These are all things to help you in the class. So I started to research and learn what it takes to be successful at this class. And I went to it. I talked to some people. I got a bunch of knowledge and then asked a lot of questions. I got a diet plan put together and I just went for it. And I did my first show and the first show I played second. And oh, wow, it was amazing. Yeah. 
and it kind of like it set the bug. So long story short, um, I've I've did two provincial level shows. I have two first place two first place finishes, and I have three second place finishes. And I have to requalify again, but at one point I was nationally qualified, and I was going to compete in BC, British Columbia, and then I would move uh, compete in New York, and then compete in Las Vegas. That was the round I was going to do, but um, <laughs> so training for this show, I got really sick. There was a, a point in time where everybody had that really bad flu, like, like it was coming out of every orifice of your body type thing. And I got sick, but I'm training for national. It took me five shows to, to win, to, to qualify, to do a national level show. So I'm trying to work through this as I'm really, really sick. And I have zero energy. Mm -hmm. I mean, 25 pound dumbbells felt like 2000 pounds, but I kept grinding and I kept grinding. And my coach said to me, Sean, he goes, he goes, he goes, you're not responding to diet. Um, so in this exercise world, there's nicknames. And my nickname is Genetic Freak. And um, <laughs> he goes, this meaning um, my body responds really fast to weight changes and really fast to nutrition changes. And I can move. This isn't true, but, but just exaggerating. I can move a dumbbell three times and my muscle will just blow off my arm type thing. Right. That's what I mean by genetic freak. And going back to what Sean was saying, he goes, I've made some substantial changes in nutrition. He goes, and your body's not responding. He goes, that's not, he goes, you respond like that. He goes, and you're not responding. He goes, you're, and I was four weeks out before the show and I was, I was shredded, uh, really, really lean and see muscles and stuff everywhere. Right. Yeah. And that's way too early. That's way too early to be that lean before stage time, right? And I said to Sean, I said, what are we supposed to do? He goes, oh, he goes, I've, he goes, I've upped your calories and your carbs like crazy and you're fast because you're not holding weight. He goes, go to the doctors. He goes, you have to go to the doctors. Something's wrong. I said, okay, no problem. And again, keep in mind, I'm training for a national level show. It take, it's taken me five years or five shows and, and three years to get to, to get this, right? And I'm not going to stop for nothing. So I went to my doctors and I sat down. She knows me well. She goes, okay, Jay. She goes, you're not going to like what I have to tell you, but I have to tell you anyway. She goes, you're severely dehydrated, severely dehydrated. And I went, okay, I, I kind of figured that. She goes, worst case scenario, she goes, being so dehydrated, your muscle bellies are dehydrated as well. And meaning when the muscles have water in it, you're going to tear muscle. She goes, if you tear muscle, that requires surgery. She goes, now you're off the gym for a year. I kind of gotcha. She goes, she goes, I know you. She goes, you're gonna go back to training anyway. So what I'm telling you right now, that's gonna be that one time that you move the weight the wrong way, and you're gonna tear a muscle or something, and you're gonna be in surgery and you'll be off for a year. And to gracefully bow down and, and step away from doing a national level show, that was extremely tough for me to do. I yeah. worked really hard to get there. And I know I shouldn't say this, but my coach was at the show. He did go to, to, to Vancouver, BC. And the gentleman that won first place in, in men's physique, um, oh boy, my coach, he goes, Jay, he goes, this guy had nothing on you, man. And I went, I shouldn't say, man, that's, I'm, this is how he explained it to me, right? He goes, this person had nothing on you. And I said, okay. He goes, he goes, honestly, he goes, I think we would have had the guy. And I went, ah, but you know that that's how life goes sometimes. It throws yeah. a curveball. And what matters is how you bounce back from a situation, right? You take the positive from the situation and you grow as a person. 
so that you don't make that same mistake twice, so to speak, right? And I walked away from that. I went, okay, I could have did okay, but but you know what? I got really sick. Um, I decided to bow down. Thank goodness I did. And I would have to requalify to do nationals again, but uh, maybe one day with this COVID and everything going on right now and all the gyms and stuff being closed, I mean, to do a show now would be, I mean, you're training six days a week. You're eating eight times a day. You're on this, life revolves around show prep, not the other way around. So with the economy the way it is now, good luck. Good luck. So I like, it's, it's so impressive, Jay, because there's so many people in our society that, um, I, I don't want to offend anybody by saying this, but from my observations in, in my work and what I've seen, uh, and even in myself, in our society, we often tend to crumble at like small, rather insignificant things, like in the grand scheme of things, right? And yet here you are where like literally the hardest hand that, that could have happened to you was dealt yes. and then you came back from it and then you continue to take on challenge and then you went and you competed in physique and you got to qualify for the nationals and then had to step down from that like how did you not quit throughout all of this how do you keep going how do you find that motivation to say you know what this is it is what it is I'm, but i'm gonna become stronger as a result of that like where does that come from I think the first step for me was was accepting what was going on. Um, again, I worked hard with my career. I worked really, really hard at exercising before for the type of show I was going to do before. And when you realize it's like somebody with an addiction problem, until you realize you have an addiction problem, you can't fix the addiction problem. No matter what counselor, what therapist, you can have the best of the best working for you. If you can't accept it yourself and realize that you have an issue, then you're not going to fix it. So I think for me, the first step was to realize that, okay, this needs some work and I need some professional help to guide me and, and, and get me on a path, on a road that I can handle, a road that I can understand uh, and, and a road that I, could, that I can obtain and, and bring to life type thing. And it took, it took some time. There's, there's no doubt about that. Um, but you just, you just, you, you kind of get through it. You do what you got to do. And um, uh, it, it took a long time. I still struggle with it today a little bit, but but I'm sort of getting kind of off topic, but you have to, you have to kind of reel me back in a little bit here. So yeah. Like, how do you, how do you not give up? So that's me as a person. Um, I've been this way my whole life. I've always given it a hundred percent of what I do every time. Um, why, why half-ass something? What's the point? Cause the end result's not going to be good and you're going to be doing it again anyway. And it's something I learned for my father as a young as a young guy that used to call me jake he goes jake he goes it's okay to make mistakes because you got to make mistakes to learn because it's critical because you have to learn he goes you make the same mistake twice he goes you're not doing so good and i went okay and then you just again this determination this, this perseverance that i have i just i can't sit still anybody that knows me i can't sit still for five minutes it, it's, it's incredible but i knew that i had to prepare myself because I wanted to be to a certain state of being like I was before. And I was lucky enough because Aunt Viv, my guardian angel, the people upstairs who kept me down here anyway, um, they allowed me 
or my brain and my lung, my back, everything to start working again over time, both working with people and, and working with therapy and stuff. Some people I met in the hospital, they, they weren't so lucky with brain injury. They, they were at a point where they couldn't recover. And my parents were told that I might have to be put in a facility for, for brain injury people because we're very, very difficult to deal with in the early mm -hmm. stages. And, and they said that Jay, may, he may never bounce back again. And lucky enough, I did. And here I am today talking to you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that everybody is capable of, of um, having that level of determination and perseverance? So that's a loaded question. So, so, so I know for me, I, I know a lot of the people in my circle are like that. There's that saying, tell me who you hang around with and I'll tell you who you are. Yeah. And a lot of my friends, I surround myself with very positive people. Um, my one great, great friend, the, the founder of this charity, she works unbelievably hard. Um, oh, I, I just admire her. I mean, the way she works, she goes nonstop like the Energizer Bunny on no sleep. And she, it blows me away what she does. And I'm just so impressed with what she does and, and just so intrigued by what she does. And these are the kind of people, again, that I surround myself with. And, and that's what motivates you. That's what motivates you. And you remember things that, that used to do in your life before that you want back again. Just the fact that I had to learn how to walk again. I had to learn how to eat again. I learned how, had to learn how to shower again. I had to learn how to tell time again. Like all these things that we take for granted, everything was taken away from me, right? And you got to start again. And again, the level of brain injury, you can either rebuild yourself or you can't. I was able to rebuild myself. There's things that I wanted. Um, I wanted to be a certain person again. And I did whatever it took to get it. I talked to anybody and asked questions. The neuropsychologist that I work with used to send me home with assignments. And in early recovery, I couldn't, I couldn't do simple word assignments. I couldn't do a simple puzzle. I know this sounds horrible, but I could look at a picture with nine or eight different figures in the picture. And this, this, this person, this neuropsych, say, okay, tell him you see, he give me a minute to look at the picture, pulls it away. Okay, tell him you saw it. I couldn't remember nothing. Couldn't remember nothing. So this is when you start to learn personalizing information, help with the memory, and everything starts to come back again, right? And as far as the person goes, thank goodness that I was that, that strong-willed person. I've worked really hard. I've always been this way, you know? I can't speak for all. Unfortunately, that's what I meant by a loaded question. I yeah. gotta be careful how I answer this, right? And um, for me, I just worked hard. I've been instilled with those kind of motivational skills and working hard from both my parents growing up. Uh, both my parents are extremely hard workers. Again, um, I admire my friend. I, I can't name names right now, but the founder of HHH. She works extremely hard. She burns the candle both ends. She, she runs around the clock steady. It's, it's amazing, and that reminds me of me and. Those are the tools, the things that drove me to get to where I am today. And, and, and when I tell her about my story, she, she's in awe when she hears my story. And this is how I kind of got started with her and her charity and, and, and working the outreach programs in Toronto and Hamilton and stuff. And again, giving back to people, making somebody's quality of life that much better. You shouldn't have to be this way. Things can be better, believe me. And then they look at me and I have all these muscles and stuff. No, I'm not being arrogant. But the point that I'm making is people look at me and, and they're like, that happened to you? Yep. Broke 17 bones, flatline three times, suffered a massive brain injury. It's taken me 11 years to rebuild my brain. And they're like, all of a sudden, they're your best friend because you've, how do you say, 
not drop to that level. That's extremely rude. But you can you can amalgamate. You, you, you can be on the same level as them, and then they drop their guard. You drop your guard, and then then you can talk. And oftentimes, I've shared my story, and people they they loosen right up. They start to talk to you. They become very humble. They drop their guard, and and this is my way in. And it's funny when you start talking to people and, and you just watch them perk up. And, and I've often said this to, to my friend, um, that typical stereotype with the guy with muscles and stuff. And, and it's, it, it just happened to me quite often. And I've now become a very educated person with, with going back to school and, and, and teaching these uh, uh, brain disorders management courses and um, neurosciences. And neuroscience is amazing, right? Love it. I love it. It's taught so much about me. But I remember, I won't use names, but I'm in the gym and I'm exercising. And this, this, this guy, big dude and stuff, and um, he has an attitude, again, that, that stereotype that goes with that, that physique, so to speak. How do you say, the meathead person type thing, right? And he starts talking to me and I will talk to anybody and I will treat everybody the same. Everybody's equal, regardless. And we start talking and he's talking to me and he's being a little cocky and stuff. And I thought, okay, no problem. Like, I mean, how do you do this? How do you do that? What do you need this? So I went, as this person from the charity would say, I went completely nerd on this person. And he he didn't know what to do because here's this jacked guy with a brain, you know? And I, I sorry, everybody out there, I'm not talking about anybody, but this is about me right now. And he, he was in awe. He couldn't believe because, well, a guy with muscles shouldn't have that kind of brain. Well, no, no, that's not how it works at all, actually. I've worked very, very hard for my knowledge. Exercising for me now, it creates balance in my life. It helps calm me down. It gives me structure. It's not about the young guys building muscles to impress the ladies. It's not about that. It's about being calm and, again, creating balance. And when, when I, I still have tough days with this and I'll go to the gym, it just calms me down. Mm-hmm. It calms me down. And the gym is one of my favorite places. Again, exercising for me, it's a lifestyle, right? I mean, it has to be. It's the only way. Only way. Yeah, totally. I love that. And I, I apologize for that, the tough question there, but uh, oh, that's okay. I that's thought it would okay. be interesting. Oh, for sure. And I just uh, be very mindful how I answer that, right? I mean, yeah. Awesome for watching your show. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't upset anybody. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, you know, regarding the out-of-body experience, mm-hmm. we often think that the human experience is, okay, I've got this body, I've yep. clearly got this mind, but what you experienced was something beyond that. The same, yeah. So um, what do you think about that? <laughs> what well, what else uh, is there? What? Yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, to comprehend it, nobody really knows, right? I mean... Before this happened to me, I'm kind of going, whatever, like whatever, right? And it happened to me and it completely changed me. It completely changed me. And it's funny because this person, uh, the founder of HHH, we were just discussing this the other day about outer body experiences and premonitions and all this and having a sixth sense, so to speak. Yeah. And I I, I, I somewhat have this and, 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 and she does as well. And to this day, I've seen some bizarre things. Um, I don't know if, if uh, um, having an outer body experience or getting close to crossing or if this is what caused it. I don't know. I I can't 
make much sense of it. All I know is it happened. And while this was happening to me, I'm thinking, okay, I've seen this on TV before. I've heard people talk about this, but no, this is happening to me. And even with that, you, you still don't understand why it's happening, but yet you're extremely calm, you're relaxed. You're not, you're not agitated that, 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 that you're going to pass away or something. It's just, it, it, it's a feeling of just this blissfulness and, and, and serenity. I can't describe it really. And I can understand when people, when they cross over, they don't want to come back right. because I've researched this quite a bit now and the blissfulness, the, the, this afterlife, this afterworld, apparently is supposed to be just, just amazing. Um, I, I never did see it. Um, I saw the light way down at the end of the tunnel that, that I described, mm -hmm. but, but I never walked into that light. I never walked into that light. And um, it was funny because this light, it was almost drawing me to the light. Um, I was, again, I was walking aimlessly in, in this, in, in this, this black fog, so to speak. I couldn't see nothing and, and it was cool and stuff but I could see this light way at the end of the tunnel. And even when my aunt grabbed my hand and asked me to turn around and come back, I didn't want to go. I'm like, no, no, I, I want to go there. No, no, you have to come with me. Come with me, hunch. No, I'm going the wrong way. And I went, oh, okay, but I want to go. And thank goodness she pulled me back because I was heading that way towards the light, right? I mean, I, I was pretty broken and banged up at that point. And yeah. I didn't go. I just, it, it, it almost draws you to the light. That's why I can only understand and, and speak that when you get to that other side, you don't want to come back. And the research that I've done, I, I've read this many times that it's just so blissful on the other side that, that you don't even want to come back here. And for some reason, I'm still on this earth. I, I, I have a purpose. I mean, I tried three times, right? Mm -hmm. And I was sent back every time. And I'm here for whatever reason it may be. And I think I think I found out what I have to do and that that's to help people and try to make their journey with whatever situation they're in, make it easier for them. Cause man, I shouldn't use, I'm not going to use the word. I've been to H E double hockey sticks like 12 times in back. That's insane. Like I've yeah. had a tough go, tough go, a tough go. Yeah. Um, how has this impacted your views on death? Like, what do you think about death now? So, um, I don't, I don't think about death very often, actually. Um, when I do refer to death, if I'm having a bad day or, or whatever, you just have one of those days, right? Yeah. I'll often reflect on early recovery and it humbles you in a hurry, like fast. Yeah. And, um, it's, I don't know how to describe it really. I mean, it just humbles you, right? And, you don't, you don't truly understand it till you walked a mile in my shoes, so to speak, right? And the amount of work that I had to do to become the person that I am today is unbelievable. It really is. I worked hard, relentlessly. I just kept going and going and going. And when they would tell me to stop, I'd keep going anyway because I had, I had this, this vision. I had this, this image that I wanted to be. I had this goal that I wanted to achieve. And I did whatever it took to get the goal, providing that all this stuff worked properly. With the medical help that I got, I was able to get this the brain and my body to function again. And when I knew that part was gonna be okay, then I jumped in both feet and just started swinging and I went for it. Right. That, was, that, that was the only way, the only way. And yeah, I agree with you. I mean, not all people have that. Thank goodness I had it. Thank goodness yeah. I had it. And with that said, I also had the help too 
I've spoke to many, many, many people with brain injuries that didn't have the privilege that I had to work with professional people to help me with, with, with a compromised brain. Um, I've worked with some people now that have not had that, that, that amazing opportunity and, and they're not doing so well. They're not doing so well. It's, it takes a long time, it takes a great deal of patience, a great deal of patience and an amazing medical team. Yeah, amazing medical team. Mm -hmm. I can't stress that enough, really. Yeah, the this is um I when I first started this podcast, I was really interested on what would be the recurring theme that I saw in people okay. overcoming. And support is always there. It's the support of the people around you is like so huge. It's everything. It, it's, yeah. it's everything. I mean, oh hmm. my family, family and friends, they picked me up off the ground several times. Yeah. Again, um, as tough as I am, I had a lot of trouble. I had a lot of trouble. It's not easy, right? Yeah. And they say you fall down, you get back up, and you keep swinging. And that's not so easy with a compromised brain because you can't understand what's going on, nor can you control when it's going to happen. And your, 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 your guard's always up because you're paranoid that you're going to lash out or do something obnoxious, you know? And it took a long time. And... It was my family, my friends that supported me. Uh, um, my buddy Chad, um, my buddy Serge, they would come and pick me up when I was all broken. And, and Chad, I remember Chad, he put me over his shoulder and he grabbed my walker and he walked me to his truck. He put my walker in the back of the truck and he put me in the seat, put my seatbelt and stuff on and took me out for the day. And this, this is what my friends did for me, just to kind of so I could breathe fresh air and, and see the outside world again. And the first time I went outside, it was with my dad actually, and we went to my sister's cottage. And I couldn't believe that the world was that magnificent. I couldn't believe it. I walked out, I went, wow, like this, this is this this is bloody amazing. I'd just seen it for 35, 37 years of my life. But on this particular day, it was just uh, euphoria. It was amazing, right? And just driving up to, to my sister's cottage with my dad, it was it was a whole new experience for me. Although I'd driven to that cottage, I don't know, 200 times. But this particular day, I was like, this, this person looking around kind of going, wow, so that's what that looks like? Or that it makes that kind of noise? Like, like I was learning all over again. Like you were saying, you have to retrain your brain and, and your brain and you kind of go back to the adolescent stage type thing, right? And uh, knowing what I know now and what I've learned in the Brain Disorders Management Program, I understand as well. And I look back and I and I, I just, I kind of, I kind of smirk and I smirk and I'll make jokes about it to myself and my friends because I can, because I'm the person with the injury and they're not derogatory. They're not obscene or, or obnoxious, but they're little digs that I'll make to myself. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And my friends will laugh or my family will laugh with me. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I'll take that into, into the room with my clients, into the classroom with my clients. And I'll throw a, dab, a jab in there every now and then because people with traumatic brain injuries, they understand what I'm saying. And I can relate to somebody with a brain injury far more than anybody else can. Um, sorry, this we have brain surgeons and neurosurgeons and stuff. I do not have their mentality at all. I'm not saying I do. But walking a mile in my shoes, you quite don't understand it until, you, until you've experienced it, right? And you can read books and, 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 and you can watch movies and everything else until until you have it, you, you quite don't understand it. Yeah, you know, 
Sorry? It, it's, it would be like reading all of the books on swimming, but never having actually swam there un, until you're in the water. It, it, you don't really understand swimming. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's the best way to put it. And I remember um, when I first came back into life, I mean, I, I worked for, for a little under a year before I took the BDM course and uh, a buddy of mine, um, Steve Tubick, they over uh, Steve and Rick's auto. Uh, up on the mountain here in Hamilton. Uh, those guys are like family to me. Like, they're amazing people, right? And uh, I've known Steve and Rick my whole life. I met those guys when I was like 16 years old, right? And when I come out of the hospital, Steve's, uh, Steve's wife is a nurse. She's retired now. Like, she, she's not because um, of the family. But she understands brain injury. She used to work at West Fifth. So she understands the stuff well, right? And um, she had kind of quizzed Steve a little bit on what to expect from me when I walked in. And I remember sitting down with Steve, the fact that he would give me a job, I thought was amazing because this was my chance to prove myself in the world again. I'm actually going to work. I'm going to do a job. And, and uh, they had this automotive place and I'm going to work on cars. And there's a great amount of knowledge that is, is needed to work on cars, especially with today's car. The technology is, is, is ridiculous, right? Even with the motorcycles. And I went in, they were, they're very easygoing, very, very easygoing with me and they didn't give me grief or nothing. They worked with me and they allowed me to grow as a person and how do you say, get back up on your feet, so to speak. Right. And, and I remember working on cars and not knowing how, oh my gosh, how do you do this? How do you do that? How do you do this? And the guys would come in and they helped me. Right. And this went on for a year. And then I realized I went, uh, it's just, it's not what I want to do. I want, I want, I want to help people or on, on the cognitive level, more of a, a, a health oriented base type thing. And, uh, that's when I went back to school. And believe it or not, the BDM course, Brain Disorders Management Program, I saw it on Facebook, of all things. <laughs> Facebook. I saw it on Facebook. I'm kind of going, oh, what's that? Hang on a sec. I scrolled back. I read it. And I went, you know how you just know something's real and something's good for you? You just get a, you just get a buzz? Yeah. I, I saw that. I went, I have to do this. I have to do this. I, I have to do this. I have to understand more of what's going on here. Although, I almost said the names. My neuropsych and my RT, um, they, they gave me my world back. There were still things that were that I didn't understand and I wanted to know the answers for. And people that know me, that's how my brain works. Um, uh, <laughs> this, again, this, this person of, of, of this charity, she goes, man, she goes, she was like, she goes, just live for day for day. She goes, you're always like two months down the road and, and I can't help it, right? And I'm learning through her many, many things that are helping me actually. And it's fantastic. But yeah, Steve and Rick, they helped me huge. And um, I was able to learn how to be around people again. And working with a neuropsychologist to shed some light on on, on, on the tech industry with, with motorcycles and stuff, I've, I've had a value shift. And what the neuropsych explained to me is I've had the biggest value shift of all. I've gone from things to people, meaning, so working on the bikes before, put me in the corner, with my toolbox, your bike, and my hoist, leave me alone. I'm a very personal person. But when I'm working on your bike, I'm in the back. There's a reason why there's a wall there and a locked door. And I'd work on the bike. Um, if you have to talk to me, okay, come back, say something to me. But if you really don't need to, please don't. Your bike will be 100% perfect because that's how I am. It's got to be meticulous. It's it, or I'm very meticulous. The bike's got to be perfect because when you're setting up a motorcycle, or tuning a bike for somebody that's in 
a world-class race and that bike fails mechanically because you had your hands on it, that's unacceptable. I mean, $100,000 purse on the line and the bike guy's bike quits because you forgot to tighten up a bolt or something, well, it's not good. So long story short, this is why I ask people, just let me do my thing. So with that said, I've gone from things, the machines, now I've gone to people. I, 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 I've become this very social person. Um, I, I was more, more of an introvert before, totally. Or now, not that I'm this extreme extrovert, I'm not, um, but I'm a thousand percent more sociable. I like to talk to people. I like to learn from people. I like to ask questions. If I could have it my way, I would be a full-time student. I right. love learning. I love researching. I love writing papers. Uh, APA formatting, that used to drive me crazy. I got it down pat now. I can inject citations, all that. I remember learning that. I'm just kind of going, you have to do this? Like, why, right? And if I could be do school 24-7, I'd do it. And I have this brain that just, just wants to absorb all this information and learn. And I think it's maybe because it's, how do you say, an insecurity of losing everything. You're kind of scared to lose that again. You want to learn every bit of information that you see, that you hear, um, that, that you can touch, that you can feel, so to speak, right? And you want to uh, compartmentalize everything up here and keep everything in your head and, and not have it go away. But yet, you still have to live life. Still got to work. Still got to pay your bills and stuff, right? You know, and that's when reality kicks in, right? Yeah. That that's life in general. I mean, yeah. In general. So throughout all of this, what would you say the like the biggest or or one of the biggest lessons you learned was? Don't take things for granted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, life can throw you a curveball unexpectedly, as it usually does, and my curveball was a pretty substantial curveball. And to have everything that you know, everything that you like, everything, everyone that you love, not everyone that you love, but what I had said in the beginning, to have everything taken away from you. I can't even describe that feeling. Wow. Um, it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to relearn everything that you've already put so much of your time into learn already. And now you're trying to learn with a compromised brain. Now, now you've got a bit of a deficit going on. And all these things that you've learned working with these people, you got to use every tool so that you can become successful. And I worked those tools like you wouldn't believe. And, and I made lots of phone calls. I asked lots of questions. I talked to a lot of people to help me learn and to help me navigate in this new life that I have now, this compromised brain, right? And I got as much information as I can so that I could, I, I could move forward and I could be successful again. And I could be, I shouldn't, as we say, we shouldn't use this word, but I could be normal again. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And it, normal is, is a very, very loaded word, but I mean, um, to me, normal is just not forgetting nothing and, and being able to do uh, every everyday tasks, you know, and uh, to have to, to learn a simple task all over again. It was, it was very frustrating. If anything, yeah. very frustrating. And again, the take back from all this, don't take nothing for granted. Live every day to the fullest, always, man, always, because I was, I was this, this, this Ducati tech, one of the better techs around. Uh, I, I got lots of perks. I stayed in great resorts and stuff. I got to go around the world. It was amazing. And it was gone like that, gone. And my life changed dramatically and it became extremely difficult to rebuild myself again. 
after I just finished doing this for 37 years of my life. Now I had to start from ground zero again, right? Yeah. And when you sit back and you contemplate on that and you think about that, there's not too many things in life that can that can eat volume, like the, like your recovery process. And this is what keeps you grounded and it creates balance and it keeps you humble, it keeps you very humble. Yeah. Very, very humble, yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who's maybe struggling on their own challenge right now, who's uh, struggling on their own climb? What would you um, say to them? What I said, what I did is, is uh, I learned from the RT is I had a paper and a pen and I wrote the pros and cons to everything. And this was part of devising my plan if I was going to an event or something in early recovery. So I knew what was going on. So I would say to somebody, use the same tool. First of all, understand what the situation is with you. Admit that you have this situation going on and then seek the right avenues to get for help. And, 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 and have confidence, have confidence. You're still an amazing person. You can talk to people and you can get help to become this amazing person again, you know, and, and don't, don't count yourself out. Don't write yourself off because you have a, a compromised brain or, or you have broken leg or whatever it may be. Things can be repaired and come back. Yes, there's those unfortunate few that can't recover. But like myself, there, there's those few that can. And again, ask questions, recognize your situation, recognize uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the intricate details that, that make this the situation happen and everything will come together. And you have somebody guiding you, uh, um, it's almost like a mentorship, so to speak. And you find that one person and you'll know that one person because you just click with them right away. And talking just becomes extremely easy and you understand what this person is saying and you use their perspective, their knowledge, their advice, and you apply it to your own life and you see if it works. And you take all this kind of information from various amounts of people and you take what works for you because clearly some things will not work for you. But if you, you're better having all these, all these new tools than having none. As, as, as my sister's husband would say, it's better looking at it than for it. You know what I mean? And if I got 30,000 tools in my toolbox, man, and then it, it takes me, I don't know, two weeks to figure it out, then take me two weeks to figure it out because I'll, I'll find that right magic formula that works for me. And keep in mind, everybody with an acquired brain injury or traumatic brain injury, everybody responds and reacts different because they're individuals. You know what I mean? I mean, they have character, they have personality. Um, uh, um, Jay Duchar with my brain injury, and then I have another person sitting beside me with the exact same accident, exact same symptom, exact same deficits, everything. We're going to be completely different people, and our recovery is going to be entirely different process, entirely. What works for him or her is not going to work for me and vice versa, because we're people, right? Nobody's I, the same. Nobody's the same. I think that that really applies to all things human. Agreed. We are all unique, and, and we are all different, and whether you know we're recovering from a brain injury or we're battling obesity or cancer or whatever it is that we are currently challenged with. I think that, you know, there's, we need to find what works for us as individuals and, mm -hmm. and really, really own that. It, it's not going to be a cookie cutter approach and that's okay. That there's, that's okay. Right. Exactly. And, and you're constantly going to be devising 
the, the plan all the time. It's always going to change because every day is different, right? And uh, you're constantly making uh, little tweaks or modifications to the plan that's going in. Yeah. Uh, I'll go back to, to, to my great friend again from, from Help Heal Humanity. That's us the charity, which is okay because it's worldwide. Everybody knows yeah. it. But I've learned so much from her about me. Um, she knows me really, really, really well. And we talk and, and she'll say things and I'll just kind of go, oh, I did that. Not that she's being rude or she's throwing my face. She would never, never do that. She's an amazing person, but she, she'll talk and it's kind of go, oh, okay, got it. And she'll help me learn, right? And again, we can learn from everybody. Just ask questions. Don't be shy. Uh, um, have the confidence and you're not a damaged individual because you have something wrong with you. Everybody's equal. Just ask and, and get help. Everybody can be normal again, right? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Awesome. So my next question, Jay, is not for you, but for our listeners. Okay. What are you going to do with all of this information, this inspiration, these lessons that you have learned? And what would become possible for you if you took even just one of these lessons and applied it to your life and your situation and your challenges or roadblocks? Um, Jay, is there anything that you would like to, to add just before we wrap up here? Anything's possible, man. Yeah, not, not, not man, sorry. I'm in a professional setting here. Um, anything is possible. Anything is possible. I mean, wow. I broke 17 bones. I flatlined three times and suffered a massive brain injury. Again, my, my brain, I had the, at 37 years old, I had the mentality of a two-year-old child. I, I kid you not. The brain did not work. And with that said, be grateful. Be humble. Just, just be cool. Don't think that you're better than anybody else. You know what I mean? Because you get caught and develop this attitude. People don't care for these kind of people to begin with, but life has a funny way of throwing you a curveball every now and then and it'll smarten you up in a hurry, let me tell you. And it'll humble you so fast, it'll make your head spin, so to speak, right? And and yeah, it just really humbles you and it puts you down at ground zero and it sits you back down again and it makes you revise everything that's happened around you in your life. And, and again, as we've talked lots already, ask questions, ask questions. Nobody knows everything. It's impossible. It's impossible, right? And you ask the question, you ask lots of people because within those 15 people you talk to, there's going to be one or two that, that are going to relate with you and you can reflect off each other, right? Um, there's people I've talked to before. It didn't work, which is okay, but this is all part of the process asking yeah. and just becoming a better person and learning and helping other people. For me, the whole idea is to give back. And why I started um, helping with um, Help Heal Humanity Charity to work with the, the, the homeless in, in these encampments in Toronto or, or, or tent cities with the proper name is encampments. Um, when you come up with a hot meal and, and we bring them coats and, and we bring them uh, um, shoes and boots and pants and t-shirts and sweaters and, and mitts and hats and, 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 and we bring them tents as well. And they're so humble. They're so humble, you know, and you walk up and they're grateful that you have a hot meal. And how I relate to that is being in the general hospital. Those people did that for me. I was broken, like from head to toe. Like, wow. And they took me in, they took care of my family, and they took care of me. And again, I'm here now talking to you because of that amazing medical team in the general hospital and the amazing team of of, 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 of uh, uh, neuropsych and RT and OTs outside of the hospital that helped navigate me through life or help navigate me through that reintegration society, so to speak. And 
it's well, I just had a vision pop in to give you an idea. So so Dima took me to the mall. Mall, Lambridge Mall, very busy place. It's crazy, right? It took me two and a half weeks to get out of her car and walk through the front door of that Lambridge Mall. I was so scared to walk into the mall. I I I I, I don't know how else to say it. I, at one point I actually started crying in the car. Yeah. I, I was paranoid. But she worked with lots of individuals like myself. So she understands and she has many tools to help me, you know? And again, it took me two and a half weeks to walk through that door. I walked in on the seer side. I, I still remember this. And um, I remember walking in and we went into the middle of the mall, which is two floors. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of like walks in the middle of, 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 of the floor or down by the railing. I was so close to the score or to the stores because I was paranoid of falling over the railing and falling down. That'll never happen. It doesn't happen unless you jump off the floor, right? Yeah. But in my brain, I, I couldn't understand that. So I was like, like, like hugging the stores. I'm walking along the walls and he's like, she goes, are you okay? Type thing. And, and I said, yes, yeah. I'm okay. And she, she goes, you're, you're overwhelmed. I said, yeah, she was me thinking. I said, yeah, I'm just going to follow you really and land on the floor. She goes, that'll never happen. She goes, never happened to my watch. And she goes, with what you're doing right now, you're very aware of what's going on, which is amazing. You're aware of your surroundings. You're very mindful of what's happening. You're going to be fine. But these are just little tidbits that are popping back in your brain. Sorry, yeah. topic, but there's so much has happened. Oh my gosh, so much has happened. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and talking with, with me today, Jay. I know that this is going to help a lot of people. And for everybody who's listening to this, I, I really encourage you to think of at least one person who may even benefit from this and, and consider sharing this with them because there are so there's so much to gain from this and you never know what one thing might change their their life, might just change the course of everything that's about to happen for them. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, anybody in your audience, if they want to talk to me, just shoot my email or something. I mean, this is what I do. I talk to people and, and I try to help them make sense of their path with their journey, so to speak, right? Fantastic. So your email and all of all of the information um, that I can give will be in the podcast description. Perfect. Um, so if, if you're, for everybody listening, check down in the podcast description and it'll all be there for you. Excellent. excellent. And yeah, for sure. I'd love to talk to anybody. Really. really. Awesome. Great. So this podcast is brought to you by Sword Academy, where you can build the best you possibly. You can find out more about that at swordacademy.ca. And we'll be right here next time with another podcast. Thanks, thanks so much, Jay. Yeah, thanks so much. And this is good. This is great. Thank you so much. Thank sure. you so much. Take care.